passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Waiting. This is Rewind a Dynamite, and first of all, I want to thank Wei for being patient. I was a little delayed tonight because right during the closing moments of the show, uh, my tongue got ripped out and I had to reattach it, but all is good, all is fine, but man, <laughs> tongues are, uh, you, you, you always need them. They're, they're the most underappreciated uh, part of the body. Wait, is that what happened in the closing angle? I, I thought it was just him sticking his finger in his mouth. I don't know. There was, wasn't there like blood there as well? I didn't know what I was supposed to think. Like he reached in and he pulled and then we're watching like blood from uh, Matt's mouth. So I, I didn't know how to interpret it. I didn't know. I believe the, like, I believe the mouth was already bleeding. Um, I was yeah, like, what was I, he doing in his mouth then? I was checking for cavities or something. I don't know. Like, he, no, no, no. That's that. That's the female wrestler. That was the other. Yeah. The other story. Um, I guess we'll find out. Did he? Did he? Can you take a man's tongue, like just like that, forcefully? You can try. Could you imagine someone uh, pulling at your tongue? That would suck. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, it would suck. Well, well, whatever happened, um, we'll get into all of that. Lots to discuss. Lots of news tonight. So get ready, everybody. You might need to sit back and uh, prepare. Because we have lots to discuss, as we do almost every day here at the post office. We have lots of uh, great shows coming your way. Uh, We have Up Next, that's currently up. Thursday is the season finale of the Cafe Hangout. I think way on Thursday for the Cafe Hangout, we should kind of do a bit of a retrospective, not only at maybe some of the big stories of the year, maybe some of the big stories of the decade, because this is the end of the decade. I'm, I'm decreeing that this is the end of the decade, not a year from now. I mean that's that seems like a tough task, but yeah, let's do it. We'll we'll ask all of. I, I'm not. No, 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 no. This is the fun part about the hangout way. We don't have to do anything. It's on the callers yeah, yeah, to just we'll fuel us. So I think this is a great caller topic. Uh, big stories of the year. Big stories of the decade. Why not? And I want to know your personal highlights of the decade too. Did you yes. get um, a promotion? To um, maybe have a child. Maybe a special. Do, do you remember? Birthday? Do you remember? Do you remember the night that Raw and Impact went head to head? Uh yeah, of course. That was ten years ago, on January, uh, 
I think it was January 4th, actually, it fell on. Ten years. Does that feel like ten years ago to you? It feels to me like five. You know, I I, I mean, I, I have this, like, kind of ten years ago type of thing happen to me on a daily basis now, so nothing really surprises me anymore. What about what happened 20 years ago? Can you go that far back? Um, Barely. What happened? Um... Uh, mankind morphed into Cactus Jack to get ready for the street fight at the Royal Rumble. That I can't believe happened uh, that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you All had right. something. Well, <laughs> uh, so anyway, the cafe hangout, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Thursday. All cafe members, welcome. Then Friday, we've got Rewind to SmackDown as uh, we're going to get the... Well, I guess second to final SmackDown of the year. They've got another one next week. And then we go into the weekend... New episode of the Rocky Maya Via Picture Show with Nate Milton, uh, along with myself and uh, and a mystery guest. Apparently, I think oh, I kind really? of ruined that. Whoops! Um, oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know oh, this was supposed man. to be a surprise. So anyway, you guys can go dig if you uh, want to find out who it was. I I dropped. <laughs> I let it slip. Uh, and then on Sunday, <laughs> we've got <laughs> we've got Thunderstruck with W H Park. He is going to be chatting about uh, Jushin Thunder Liger Shinjiro Otani with uh, wrestler Daniel Makabe, who WH and I got to uh, chat with for a little bit uh, this past summer when he was here in town, SummerSlam weekend, and uh, very very entertaining wrestler. Very uh, He was interviewed by Jamesy on the site earlier this year, so uh, that should be a fantastic show with uh, WH. And then Sunday night... The final post-pro res of the year with myself and WH Park. We're going to get all of WH Park's year-end picks, including worst dressed of the year. We'll also go through the uh, the class of 2019 Observer Hall of Fame candidates that went in this year. And go through the entire lineup of both Wrestle Kingdom shows, January 4th and 5th. So that's all coming up this weekend. Postwrestling.com postwrestlingcafe.com, which, if you are a member of, you are automatically entered in a draw to win a post-wrestling prize every Wednesday night on Rewind a Dynamite. All you have to do is sign up. You're automatically entered. And what are what is everyone playing for tonight? Uh, well, let's give away a T-shirt. Any T-shirt of your choice from store.postwrestling.com, which is the place where we sell all of our merchandise, including our little bit of the foily T-shirt. Yes. Uh, is that still funny? I think everyone gets a kick out of it. Store.postwrestling.com. Was, was it a money-drawing flub on my part, at least? Uh, huge. Huge. We're, we're rich. We're going to retire off this thing. Oh, we're done. This is our last show ever, yeah. everybody. I'm going to live on a, the, uh, the islands. The islands? Buy an island with all the, the foily. Uh, all of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go purchase a, a plethora of them. Foily, to be exact. Uh, let us do our draw. So, Wei, why don't you uh, dig deep into our names that are eligible? Are you able to, like, search by uh, by name? Can we, like, can I pick a first name and you go with someone whose name is that um, person's name? I like, can. If I said Ben, could you pick up, like, three Bens and we could, like, just pick one of them? You know, it, it's a little tough. To, okay, to, then to, let, let's, to random, let's throw it out. randomly pick Forget among it. the Bens? You know, I and I would say like that. I would feel pretty shitty if like I were to be entered in a draw like that. You know, okay, because like, no one would ever say way. That's right. So maybe right, we can ma- right. maybe randomize it like another way. 
um maybe um uh why don't you pick like uh how about i pick pick a number i mean that's pretty difficult too I, I okay. What I I think in the time that we've debated this, you you certainly can pick no, 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 the no, most no, deserving. No, no. I got I got I got one. Pick any date. Okay. Between uh, December twenty seventh, twenty seventeen, to now. May nineteenth, two thousand eighteen. So May nineteenth. Okay. May. So, so I'm I'm basically picking according to when people joined, and congratulations to Kane Conrad. Dogau, Conrad Dogau from uh, British Columbia, you join on May 19th, 2018, and John Pollock has chosen you to be the winner of this week's prize pack. Well, there you go. Congratulations. You are the proud winner of a brand new post-wrestling t-shirt. So congratulations, Conrad, on your uh, your big achievement here on Rewind a Dynamite. So uh, thank you to all of you for uh, tuning in tonight. Uh, also want to make mention that our Christmas show is going to be out next week. It's dropping on Christmas Eve. And, of course, for those that will remember our Christmas shows, they are highlighted by the Christmas Jingle Contest, where you can design your own Christmas jingle. And Way and I are going to be the adjudicators to go through each and every Christmas jingle submission. And the deadline is Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. All your submissions have to be in by Monday. So you have a couple of days and the weekend to uh, get your submissions in, and then that show will be out uh, next Tuesday. It'll be out for everybody. So uh, look out for that Christmas Eve. And no better way than to spend uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning with our Christmas show on. That's how I like to do it every year. Could that be a better Christmas? Uh, I mean, uh, anything you want to pre- preview about the Christmas show this year? Um. Let's say that the word association for the Christmas show this year would be changes. Okay. Changes. Yeah. We're, we're playing with a, a new format of the Christmas show this year. So I'm very excited for it. Yes. And we don't have Tupac on the show. Um, that would be a tough one. No, that would be very tough. Hmm. Have you, uh, I just finished the uh, latest season of Slow Burn. Have you ever listened to this podcast? No. What like is that? A, it just it just takes uh, historical stories and tells them over several episodes. They did the uh, the whole uh, Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky uh, story from '98, the late '90s. That was a very good one. And the latest one was uh, Biggie and Tupac, which I feel for a lot of people that's probably like uh, a pretty overtold story at this point. But I, I found it really fascinating. It was a it was really interesting and kind of why the case it's still an active case it's they, they've they've not closed it uh it's interesting today was the uh the last episode i think they did like eight it was like an eight podcast series on it so they just like retell the story Do they it's, re- it's interviewing people like journalists people that were close to the scene looking at uh potential suspects and where kind of these two lives were going prior to uh their deaths in 96 and 98. Very cool. Cool. Was it 96 or 97 that that Tupac's killed? I believe 96. That, and then uh, Big 96. Died. I 97. think that's right, too. It was right after the, the Mike Tyson fight that he attended. Mm-hmm. And Biggie died, I believe it was birthday. on my, birth, my birthday, yeah, in 98. Mm-hmm. 97. 97? 97. Yeah. Bad with dates. All right. Let us uh, get into the news. We should not waste any more time. Uh, lots to discuss here. Um, 
Let's start with this one because it kind of just came out uh, this evening that WWE superstar Jimmy Uso found not guilty of DUI in Escambia County. This comes from Where TV, which is a ABC affiliate. And I'm just going to read from uh, the story here that he appeared in court on Wednesday for his trial. And it reads, Jonathan Fatu, also known as Jimmy Uso, was arrested in July for DUI and opted for a jury trial. An arrest, an arrest report says an off-duty officer claimed Fatu's vehicle was drifting on Interstate 10 at speeds of 100 miles per hour. The athlete was eventually pulled over by an Escambia County Sheriff's deputy and charged. It took a, a jury only one hour to find Fatu not guilty. Fatu was emotional as the verdict was read. He did not speak to the Channel 3 News, but his attorney, Greg Wibbs, did. And his lawyer said that, quote, and this is what the jury system is for. A cop cannot convict you. A cop can arrest you, but they cannot convict you. And that's why we took it to the next level and pled not guilty and set out for a case trial. It goes on to say Fatu did not did not take a field sobriety test. He never refused, but asked that his lawyer be present. And people will be familiar with this because the video of uh, Jonathan Fatu in the car and being uh, approached by this officer was made public and people got to see this. Uh the arresting officer took the stand, said he believed the WWE superstar was impaired. Quote, once he eventually started to get out of the vehicle, he appeared to have a hard time with the door handle and opening up the door. He was unable to get out of the vehicle and took a step or two and appeared to stumble almost into the travel lane, said Deputy Jeremy Meeks on the stand. Uh, Wibbs here, has, uh, who is the lawyer, had been friends with Fatu for 20 years. The speeding ticket he also received will remain on his record. So... Not quite exactly sure how they arrived at the verdict. They don't really go into details about this. I mean, the video is there, but he was found not guilty of DUI. So he did not take a test and therefore did not fail. Is, is, he didn't. I, I guess. I guess technically he didn't. That's what it sounds like here. Like if he didn't take a field sobriety test, they did not have evidence that could clearly showcase that he was under the influence of of anything right okay so i don't know it's i mean i guess this is good for his record that he is found not guilty here i mean people can see the video i mean that's pretty clear that there was something wrong and i guess the next question is uh does this alleviate um his absence from television and he is right back does the wwe look at this as a case closed um, what happens with the Usos, I guess, is the next question, because they have been off TV since July. And Naomi's been gone, too. And, you know, it's hard to look at, I suppose, the absence of the Usos and not think that something might might be related to Naomi. I do find it peculiar that she's just been been gone pretty much at about the same time. Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, the news that came out on Wednesday regarding uh, uh, Jimmy Uso. Raw number from Monday. It was not a pretty one. So. Um, the show did, so this was, this was interesting. So since they eliminated the overrun, you've just been taking like the numbers and you divide by three to get the average. And that would bring you to 2,054,000 viewers, which would be the lowest of the year. And of recent memory, the only lower ones would have been Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Now, because they're starting, they did an overrun of three minutes which actually brings the average even down further. So it's really 2,050,000 viewers that the show did on Monday night. Um, really, really terrible number. This was lower than the taped episode 
back in November, which had been the, the previous low this year. And uh, they were down really big among uh, males, 18 to 49, down 20% this week. In a weird stat, females 12 to 34 were up 32% from last week. Uh, but big tune-out factors if you look at hour one versus hour three in every demo except over 50, who only fell 8%. So, yeah, th- this was, I-, I would say, a bad number for a lot of reasons. Number one is that uh, they were going against a NFL game that did have 11 million viewers, but it was hardly the, the stiffest competition they faced from the NFL. You had the fact that you were coming off of a pay-per-view, absolutely no bump from that, and a first hour that was very low as well. So it wasn't even the case that you had at least the higher you know, 2.4 million, for instance, first hour either. So there just seemed to be no interest coming off of this pay-per-view and... It hitting a a year of really an all time low that this was because you're um, at least one of their lowest of all time. I feel like the you know we're not far removed from the time where any pay per view would have automatically generated some sort of interest the next day, but um, it, it's clear that I think from this and also prior prior numbers that pay per views don't really mean anything anymore. Do you think that this was a special case with TLC because it was a very stripped down pay per view? But, but they I have enough. But they have pay per views that are like a TLC level show. Like I mean, this one had obviously no Brock, but it didn't even have you know your Rey Mysterio's on it, uh, an AJ Styles. It didn't have um, like th- this was like a stripped down version, even more so- like it. Just to me, it was a very non like it. It was just a nothing pay per view. I think. Uh, star wise um, what was the number well. coming coming off of hell in a cell or or a survivor series uh i could look here so the raw coming off of hell in a cell two million three hundred and thirty four thousand viewers so survivor series survivor series would have been i'm sure i'm sure that one was uh much bigger t- actually not really two million one hundred nine thousand viewers so, so yeah, so, no, there's there's definitely a uh, a lack of you know post pay per view bump at least for Raw, um, and Raw really was not showcased very well at the Survivor Series. But still, I would still imagine that a Survivor Series level show, you would hope that there would be that um, that follow up the next night that you you would get some heightened interest. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just it's just it continues to be indicative of I think they're wearing down of even their most hardcore fans to. You know, recognize that if there is going to be news, you will find out about it somehow. And that might be, you know, a result like that might result in some sort of post pay-per-view bump. But I think for the most part, people recognize that if something didn't big didn't happen on a pay-per-view, they have no reason to tune in. And for those people that didn't tune in, I mean, shame on you because you missed the payoff to that great gauntlet match. I mean, if you invested an hour of your time on 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 Monday night, one of the few that did tune in. What a reward you got for your time uh, that was invested during that second hour of Raw. Does that make your worst of? It's it it probably might. I, I was there. There's many times that I will groan at something or it's just not good. I was honestly insulted by that one. That that's that's what you provided your fans that had sat through this entire thing and just so many options that you could have done that I was thinking of after. The idea that you could have done Andrade and Umberto that exact same angle and Andrade is disqualified 
and therefore, Umberto, you get the the idea that he's won, and then we get the announcement, there's one more competitor. Rollins comes out, boom, stomp as Carrillo tries to fight back, and then Rollins just gets... Here's the guy that once ran the table in that gauntlet match and kind of put that gauntlet thing back in vogue with WWE by lasting as long as he did. And here he's the guy that just backdoors his way over Umberto, creates a match down the road between those two. And you even have kind of that little interaction between the two from a number of weeks back. Rollins wins, gets the U.S. title match. Ray still has an issue with Andrade for taking out Umberto, but he's immediately going to face Seth Rollins for the U.S. title. And at least you get some payoff to the end of that. And all the objectives are still accomplished that you did on Monday. Completely, completely. Um, I I feel like <laughs> I wasn't as disappointed by it, I think because I just understood. To me, this is just like nothing surprises me. I think about like the quality of that booking anymore and the lack of attention to detail. So um, it was definitely infuriating for sure. Um, it's hard to say if there are any lasting effects of it though. Impact announced after a long stalemate that they have come to terms on the release of Killer Cross, who, I mean, this has just been, the guy's career has just been kind of in in flux uh, during this year. I mean, he has been doing, uh, of late, he's been back doing AAA dates, he's been doing independent shots, but now he is free and clear and posted this awesome video. Did you see this thing? This was immediately after the release note. Haven't seen the video. Oh my gosh! You and I have talked about the uh, uh, you know the guys out there that need to be great, uh, great characters, great actors. I I'm very high on Killer Cross and whatever his next step is going to be in 2020. Now that he's uh, done with Impact, which is unfortunate. I think Impact did do a really great job introducing Killer Cross and the handling of him, and it seemed like it was going to be a, a really profitable relationship between both parties but that obviously was not the case uh he's free now to go elsewhere i'll be curious where he ends up and much like marty Skrull, i'm curious to see like are guys going to be antsy to just go for the first big offer they get or do they kind of want to play the field and see where things shake out in a couple of months when there may be more demand from companies for guys that are out there and kind of just keep your options open for a few months which we see Marty Skrull doing right now with the NWA and keeping his cards really close to the best of what he does next. But I think Killer Cross, wherever he ends up, I think he could be a real asset to many different companies. He's a tremendous personality, a great talker, and I think could seamlessly move to a, a ton of different companies and be a great asset. Yeah, he's a name I can see popping up at either of the major promotions in AEW or WWE, as I'm sure he'll probably want to go to. So um, he's a great kid for anybody. And he's done a great job of, I think, getting his name out there even without being on Impact. Yeah. Uh, once you see this video away, it's like they've just got footage that <laughs> I don't know if this thing's going to get uh, flagged on YouTube, but it's just like black and white footage of MLW, ROH, WWE programming, and it's all these different potential opponents for him. And New Japan, like Okada's in this, Roman Reigns is in this, and it's just him like watching it and looking maniacal. So it was a, a very, 
slickly produced video that he, he's done a number of. And that is, that is the secret tool, everybody. If you are not signed to a major company, having your own editor. That is the key in pro wrestling these days for independent wrestlers. It's a worthy investment for sure. I mean, you obviously have to have the talent and I think a good idea to back it up as well. But Killer Cross has proven to have both of those things. And uh, just a few more notes here. Um, at the end of the show, we'll talk about uh, what went down on NXT. We'll save that for the end for people that are listening that maybe have not seen NXT yet. Uh, but I think it is worth noting that they announced on tonight's show that they will be having new episodes of NXT the next two weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, I think they'll, they'll be sure to win that one. Well, ne- next week, yes. They will be up there alone and they announced uh, several matches for next week. Roderick strong is going to be doing an open challenge. Uh, They also announced a tag match as well. I believe they were taping all of this tonight to air next week. And then in two weeks from now on new year's day, they're going to be announcing the participants for the dusty roads tag team classic in 2020. Are you surprised that they are continuing with the dusty roads tag team classic? No, not really. Um, it's a tag team tournament used to highlight, uh, I, I think that division, which can be very strong within NXT and also to highlight just any of your kind of unknown talents who might not necessarily be, you know, in, in a title picture. Uh, it's another thing just for them to build towards. It's another event without having to build up to a, a big takeover. So not really surprising. Even though th- this tournament will be happening head to head with Cody's promotion. His promotion. What do you mean? I mean, the, this this tournament named oh, after the Dusty, Dusty is going to oh. be happening on on Wednesday nights with right. Cody on the like. It was one thing when Cody had left the company and they continued it, but there was still. Now it's like this. They're 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 doing the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic head to head against AEW. I it's mean, like I, I'm I'm not saying like right or wrong. Just yeah, it's I somewhat mean, noteworthy that they are doing it now. Yeah, I mean they they had it first, and I think there there are. Uh, you know, I don't want know if that would have even been any under consideration. Um, like Dusty, I think to them was very much a part of NXT. So I don't know if it would be even something they would think about. So j- just the roll call now. We've got the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic on NXT. And the next NWA pay-per-view is going to be called Hard Times. Oh, he's everywhere. He's busier now than ever. Man, that Dusty IP is just <laughs> all over the place. So... Yeah. um and then, and then you've got Cody trying to trademark all all the the other existing ones. Mm-hmm. I, I do find it interesting that they're deciding to continue to put new episodes out throughout the holidays. I mean, I I I think any advantage they see in being able to potentially convert an AEW fan to start watching their show, that you know, this would be one of those opportunities. Yeah, the USA Network is listing it on their schedule for next week. Also, they are. It it seems like that overrun, that eight minute overrun, is now figured in. Like it's listed on the USA Network schedule. NXT eight o'clock till ten o eight p.m. each week. Right, it's like okay. that's like built right in. So, um, yeah, the they're also gonna have their year end awards on the New Year's Day episode. So, not sure what that whole show will be comprised of, but it did seem like they were taping additional stuff uh, tonight at Full Sail. So, anyway, uh, you will get some wrestling on, on Christmas Day because. God forbid there was a there's a night off. And finally, before we uh move on to the show itself, we also have uh did you get to see any of uh NWA Power? Do you want to chat about that later? 
Yeah, I did. Yeah, I caught I caught uh, most of the shows this uh, Tuesday. So we can we can talk about it about it anytime. Okay, let, let's let's chat about it after uh, after after Dynamite. So we'll, we'll, we can get into that because I saw both Power and Dark on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about those. Dynamite Wednesday night from Corpus Christi, Texas, at the American Bank Center. Our final Dynamite episode of the year, and we started things off with no pomp and circumstance at the beginning. We have Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Pentagon Jr., and Ray Phoenix in the ring as we are set to begin our commercial-free tag team match, which both episodes starting off with their commercial-free offerings. And we get right into things as uh, Phoenix lands on Omega's shoulders coming off the ropes, and we tease the one-winged angel within the first minute. And they're kind of playing up the Omega Page not so much dissension, but just the the issues that have been going on between the two that they kind of played up this week on that event center that AEW put out as well. Uh, Penta comes in with Paige. They start chopping one another. Omega hits the big Terminator dive to the floor and then does a victory jog up the ramp. We get the multiple springboard double foot stomp by Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix was fantastic in this match, um, as was Omega too. Those two were, I thought, really stood out. Then the screen flickers. As we get an image of Evil Uno as the announcers uh, apologize for the technical difficulties. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Decent little tease. Did you like it? Yeah. They had been doing this on, I think they did it on Dark. I definitely saw it elsewhere uh, this, this past week as well. So they were kind of teasing this throughout the week uh, with the Dark Order and these little glitches uh, in some of the AEW programming. Phoenix flies off the middle rope into a hook kick. Then Omega comes back, V-trigger. Pentagon knocks Paige off the apron. And then Paige gets the tag, and he nails dives onto both Phoenix and Pentagon on opposite sides. And we get a double-team wheelbarrow splash onto Paige. Phoenix popped up into a German from Paige. And then the V-trigger misses. Omega takes a sling blade. And we get into the, the final sequence here. As Omega is firing up with Snapdragons, he stops the package pile driver, and Paige goes for the buckshot lariat with Omega holding Pentagon, and Penta moves out of the way. Paige nails Omega. Paige then gets sent to the floor, and Pentagon lifts up Omega for the package pile driver. Phoenix coming off the top with the foot stomp, and Pentagon pins Omega 17 minutes and 48 seconds. A really hot tag to start things off and progressing the the problems between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Yeah, it was a, a really good, very athletic match. Um I I enjoyed it, I think as a display of athleticism. Not necessarily I think the type of match that would, you know, get you emotional emotionally invested because I think of the minimal storytelling that preceded it, you know, um it was um it was a, you know, they're in a broadcast ratings war and I think to start a show off just with entrances without entrances and right into a match. I kind of forget why the match was happening, but um, the announcers did, I think try their best to like, you know, tell catch you up on the story, but that's sort of the sacrifice you make when you're just starting a show with the match itself. Page just stares at Omega. He's got a busted lip and the two start shoving one another. But before things can escalate, we cut to pack on the screen and he has not received an answer from Kenny Omega about a rubber match. So he's going to remind him what he's capable of. Opens up a locker room 
door, and there is Michael Nakazawa with his back to the door with headphones on. They must be noise-canceling. They couldn't hear Pac's promo. And he shuts the door, and Omega forgets about Paige, races to the back, and as we're going to the picture-in-picture, we watch as Omega opens the door, no one's there, and then Phoenix and Pentagon attack Kenny and are beating him down. Paige runs to the back, and he stops the attack and saves Omega. Yeah, so they're good again, at least for this week. So they're, they're, they're really doing the, they're really trying to just kind of lengthen this, this whole turn by page and keep people thinking that they're, they're going to resolve their issues, but prolonging this for eventually hangman, I guess, snapping on Kenny Omega. But my bigger question is what the hell happened to Michael Nakazawa? Never got an update on this guy. Did he die? Find out after the holidays. I guess so. Cody and Darby Allen against the Butcher and the Blade. Uh, there was an enormous chant for Darby Allen as he comes out, and then a huge reception for Cody. Uh, man, for, for this night, Corpus Christi really giving a fuck you to the reputation that this city has uh, acquired over the years. I thought they were great. I think the AEW effect like makes everything different. The non-WWE effect, maybe? Perhaps, yeah. I don't. I guess I don't recall other shows in Corpus Christi that weren't WWE. Butcher is just throwing Darby around. They get the advantage on Cody for a long time. Go through the break, which included the bunny pulling Cody by the arm into the post. As Cody's selling, the crowd's chanting, we want Darby. Uh, Allen comes in. He hits a code red on Blade, but he's not the legal man. And then Butcher applies a cloverleaf, and Cody tries to break it. Uh, Butcher had a, a secondary singles match against his mouth guard during this match because it kept falling out. I didn't notice. Yeah, it's uh, they, they called attention to it at once. At first, the announcers thought it was his teeth coming out. And then later, this happened again during the cloverleaf spot where the, the mouth guard fell out. Allen flips into a stunner, tags in Cody, who hits the crossroads onto the butcher but the bunny distracts paul turner so cody and darby then hit stereo dives to the floor and in the replay you watch darby smash into the middle rope as he went through here not a uh not a smooth landing for him cody tosses another weight belt into the crowd disaster kick to the butcher on the apron followed by a coffin drop on the edge and now cody's os cutter is now the cody cutter that he hits and pins the blade with and I just thought this was a really fun tag match, and I thought this was a much better showcase of Butcher and the Blade than we got last week. And the crowd just loved Darby and Cody. Yeah, I think Darby Allen continues to look amazing. To me, he's the breakout star of AEW short run. I'm really looking forward to seeing Darby versus uh, Cody again. I I thought, I thought they'd announce this for January 1st, but we didn't get a date. Well, I mean, they got time, I guess. You'll probably find it on Dark or social media or something. I thought the match was okay. I think, you know, Butcher and Blade have a really cool look. Um, three, three weeks in, I think they're good, but they don't necessarily stand out too much from the rest of the pack in the tag team division. They they are, they are were fine in ring. I didn't think they were necessarily all that impressive, nor were they really booked to be in this particular match. Uh, yeah, this was, you know, Cody fighting from underneath, getting the... Big babyface win, and really more so just transitioning to Cody and Darby Allen. So I don't really know where the Butcher and the Blade fit in long term, other than being muscle for MJF, which may, maybe that's that's the role right there. 
which is kind of heavy on that when you you've also got Wardlow in there. Yeah, it just seems like you got three guys where one might be sufficient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, I, I really don't know if this was the best time to debut that team, but um, I'm sure they're happy to be signed to AEW either way. So they showed Jungle Boy getting ready for the Jericho match with this training footage. He's lifting weights, and they've got Jericho's promo uh, playing over top of the footage, ending with "You couldn't last ten minutes with me." So yeah. I, I thought this was a really good video. I, I thought the handling of Jungle Boy was was great on this. Well, I was really curious to see how they would do Jungle Boy leading up to the match when I think I was really disappointed with the way they treated Scorpio Sky in the lead up to his match where you really had nothing. So on this episode, I think we had a couple elements of a pre-produced video for Jungle Boy that I thought added a whole lot of anticipation to, you know, before the match itself. This was really simple. It was like, I think a real emphasis shown here to showcase Jack Perry, the man and not the jungle boy, like pretty much dropping the entire jungle boy gimmick altogether outside of just the look that, that, you know, he has when he wrestles here, he was like training in a real gym with like one of those, like, you know, oxygen masks, um, really simple, really well done. And just the constant reminder of Jericho saying the 10, 10 minute soundbite immediately tells you what to look forward to in the match later on. Yeah. Just like a simple like line at the end, you can't last 10 minutes that, I mean, it just, it sums up the whole story of what, what this match is about. Awesome. Kong came out for her first match on dynamite against Miranda Alize, who is a Booker T student who's been wrestling for over five years now has been over to, to stardom um, just here to get annihilated. Kong was out with Brandy and Melanie Cruz, the bald woman, and Brandy did a inset promo stating that Kong will definitely win. And later tonight, Brandy has a good feeling that the alien will come home, referring to Chris Statlander. And then the weird Uncle Festus guy walked into the shot again. I don't know who this is, but I know it's going to be met with a groan when we find out who this is. I don't think it's anybody that famous. I believe like that, that's I've why I, I I think it's going to just be, I don't know this uh, this uh, th- this gimmick is not working for me at all. I've seen people on on Twitter um, refer to it being somebody that uh, they were trying to. I believe uh, Jericho posted about him recently, but anyway, yeah, um, it's it's. I I don't think it it anybody should expect like you know a, a widely known face. Okay, does the name um Doctor Luther mean anything to you? Oh, okay, yeah. So I believe it's at least been speculated that it's okay. Doctor Luther, yeah, yeah, it's a guy who oh you know a really uh underrated uh guy, C- Canadian wrestler, and of course yeah, I mean really tight with Jericho and that whole crew. So uh, that that's interesting. That would be someone that. Would make sense. Um, yeah. So anyway, we'll see where this goes. Uh, so anyway, the match goes 45 seconds. Spinning back fist, implant buster, Kong wins. That was about it. Yeah, you know, it was um, awesome Kong. Kong, Kong you, can, you can see Kong is like physically like it's I, I don't know if she can do much more than this. Like she was not getting around very easily. Yeah, yeah. And this was a match that. You know, allowed her to get into the AEW rankings without taking a single bump. 
I think she certainly has name value that is worthwhile to like, you know, use, uh, here. Um, I, I, I'm, I guess you could really only go so far. So they're, they're trying to take this as long as they can. They, they aired a portion of a sit down interview that Jim Ross did with a uh, jungle boy in the ring earlier in the day. And he asks what he thinks of uh, Jericho and jungle boy said, I think of him in two ways as a man, as Chris Jericho, the man and Chris Jericho, the legend, he's not afraid of the man, but respects the legend. And he's aware of the pressure and the gravity of this moment, but he's ready to tackle that pressure and Jericho. And then he's asked what his dad would think of this moment tonight. And he says his dad would be very proud. And I, I just thought that this came off really well. I want to, I want to hear more of this. I, I wonder how long it was because we only got about a minute of it. But I thought Jungle Boy was great for the uh, the short time this was. And I, I thought Ross was just great kind of uh, teeing that up and introducing kind of kind of the dad to the, the, the story of, of Jungle Boy and what this would mean. And by the end of this, I thought, like, they've really built this up very well to, to see this match and what they're going to do here with Jungle Boy. I agree. I thought I think Jim Ross is really good in these types of settings. He makes the interviews feel very intimate and very genuine. Again, this is very simple. Um, I wish like like this was something I think you definitely could have aired in an extended format last week in the build up to to this week's show. But um, I I thought they did a really good jo- job building Jungle Boy here. Certainly better than uh the, they did Scorpio Sky. So if this is sort of the template they're creating, I. I think, you know, these types of Jericho versus random mid-carter challenges can end up being really good. So Jericho and Jungle Boy came at the uh, uh, at the 9 p.m. Uh, crossover, and Jungle Boy's family is showing in the front row, and Jake Hager comes out with Jericho, and the match begins, and immediately Jungle Boy goes for a roll-up and gets a one-count. And Jericho tries for the walls. He hits a code breaker as Jungle Boy comes out of the corner. But Jericho, just playing the cocky, arrogant veteran, isn't even going to go for the pin. He hits a second code breaker and he pulls Jungle Boy up at the count of two. Tosses him to the floor. And this is when Hager drives Jungle Boy into the guardrail, gets into a brawl with Luchasaurus. And then Marco Stunt dives off the apron and gets murdered with a forearm from Jake Hager. Oh, it looked rough. Yeah, uh, and this is where Aubrey Edwards ejected Hager and the Jurassic Express, so we're left with Jericho alone with Jungle Boy, and uh, he lands on the floor after the springboard, and Jungle Boy hits two suicide dives, and a Tope Con Hero follows it with a flying DDT off the turnbuckle. It's all Jungle Boy shining here. Jericho then lands an elbow, misses the lion salt. So jungle boy hits his own lion salt on two, which Excalibur says no one has ever hit the lion salt on Chris Jericho. And I thought that was a really unique spot to do where Jericho misses his own move and jungle boy one ups him and adds the, the insult of using his own move on him. It was good. Is it true? I, I mean, I, how many guys do quebradas on a regular basis that Jericho works with? So, I mean, if someone has hit one on him, it probably hasn't been for a long, long time. Hmm. I mean, until Styles hit one on Raw. I mean, it's a a movie you don't see too often in, like, WWE. Um, Jericho then hits a powerbomb, and he applies the walls with about 90 seconds to go in the match. And Jericho's just wrenching, wrenching back 
We're down to 10 seconds left, and Jungle Boy survives to 10 minutes. Jericho thought he tapped, and then he demands five more minutes. And Jungle Boy skins the cat, and he does the spot from last week with the Hurricane Rana hooking the legs for a two-count. He gets Jericho with a two-count on a crucifix, and then Jericho just goes to the floor, takes the belt, and he walks away as we go to the commercial. And during the picture-in-picture, he comes back, he gets into the family's face, and later in the show, they announced that the extra time wasn't official, and it's ruled a 10-minute draw. And I thought this was uh, a lot of fun. I thought Jericho was phenomenal during this. And, and I thought Jungle Boy, I thought this this episode was a great leap forward for him overall. I thought this was a great segment. You know, he he outlasted the 10 minutes. And just when you think they'll have Jericho beat him in the overtime, like, I feel like would be pretty pretty common practice elsewhere. Um, you had Jungle Boy dominate that too. So I think they made Jungle Boy look really strong here. And all without having Jericho take a loss. This was, I think, a home run in terms of the match, in terms of the booking. I really thought Jim Ross was amazing here. He, he was he was great. He, 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 he was so good at taking the beer directly into the mindset of the baby face. Uh, to me, this was like a reminder that the Jim Ross of old still exists. And I think... It especially comes out when you know he's knee deep into the story of a match like he demonstrated he was here. It was the best I've heard of in a long time. Um, yeah, and you know what? I know that when when the show started, one of the criticisms uh, on Jim Ross was him constantly Jungle Boy Jack and calling him Jack Perry. I, I completely sided with Jim Ross on that. That this it just humanizes him a lot more to have a name here and his family is at ringside that it can be both, but like just calling him jungle boy throughout this whole thing, I just think would have taken a little bit of the edge away from the story they were trying to tell. And oh I think yeah. Overall that that worked uh, very well that he can be jungle boy, but yeah, this, this is a real person too. He's jungle boy nicknamed the way that like, you know, an MMA fighter might have a nickname. I mean, exactly. I think like ramp rampage or whatever. I, I, I really don't, don't mind the rebranding. I mean, clearly I think it worked out better. Like the man is Luke Perry's son. I think it's kind of silly not to use it to tell the world, you know, especially if you're a casual viewer who has no idea who this person is either way. Um, I, it's something that, I'm not saying, like, you know, get rid of all the other gimmicks, but, like, Chris Statlander is an alien does nothing for me. I have no idea why she's an alien, like, what what that means. Um, I It's completely unrelatable, and um, I feel like if AEW were to, like, give me a better introduction for a lot of these other stars the way that they have with Jungle Boy, I think that would be an overall benefit. Yeah, th- this was a great segment. I, I thought one of the better ones... Um... AEW's done on Dynamite. I just thought this was a really great job uh, with Jungle Boy, and it helped everybody. And Jericho was great. Jim Ross was great. And Jungle Boy uh, came off really well. The family was a nice added touch. And in a in an industry where subtlety is not always uh, on display, I thought they had the the perfect balance of acknowledging Luke Perry, but never exploiting that fact of things or trying to turn that into too much of the story. It was like this thing that every viewer was aware in the back of their mind, like this guy lost his father, but we didn't need that to be just shouted down and just, uh, 
used to get the story across. It was just like a little thing mentioned in the interview. And I think everyone w- was aware of that. And they were able to form that story in their head by themselves. So after the match, Shivani is out there with Jericho. And Jericho denies ever saying he wouldn't last 10 minutes. And then just quickly moves on to John Moxley. And wanting him to join the inner circle... And he starts running down the fans. He said they're going to have a giant surprise for John Moxley on January the 1st. But says, in the meantime and between time, quoting Ed Whalen, he wishes him a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So it's decision time for John Moxley. Yeah, we'll see. And no Moxley on the show tonight. Nope. Jen Decker interviewed SCU. Christopher Daniels says that some believe... The Bucks are the team of the decade, but SCU is the team of the moment. And then Pentagon and Phoenix walk in, and they've got an iPhone, and they're playing the Daniels botch from his match with Pentagon. And they played this up on being the elite, that Daniels is somewhat consumed by this botch and whether he still has it. And while it really wasn't introduced in this promo, on being the elite, like they were... They were hitting it much heavier with Daniels saying that, you know, you two, Kazarian and Sky are on top of the world, but I'm doing terrible right now. And much uh, creating kind of that distance from within SCU uh, much harder, but kind of intimating that when Daniel stormed off here after seeing the uh, the botch from Pentagon's phone. I couldn't even see what was on his phone. So uh, that all that was lost on me. Um, oh. I thought he was showing him like a loss. Or something. I didn't realize it was the botch. So, um, glad some of us got it. <laughs> well, I I was also at the end of this, like picturing like Pentagon Junior, like the this character on a cell phone, and it's just kind of a weird <laughs> visual to just imagine this guy like playing, I don't know, um, Hearts on his phone or whatever games he's got, checking out his latest playlist. Chris Statlander and Britt Baker, our number one contenders match. Riho was found. She was in the crowd, way. Yeah, she's there. Yeah, she got a ticket. Uh, this went through a commercial break. Chris snapped her arm on the middle rope. Uh, we got another joined Dark Order message uh, on the screen. At least the announcers are not pretending they can't see this stuff. They're acknowledging it. Um, thus, we can see it as well. Um, so the match went through two segments here. Um Chris ends up powering her up into the package tombstone for the win and keeps her undefeated and sets up the match with Chris Statlander challenging Riho on January the 1st for the women's title. I definitely could have done with the post-match involving Riho and setting up this women's title match rather than what we got, which was the continuation of this American, whatever it's called, Nightmare Collective so Shivani is interviewing Statlander, and she does this deal where she touches her nose, and then she goes to touch Tony's. Brandy comes out. She's complaining about the microphone being shut off and tells Statlander she knew she could do it, and she asks if she is with the Nightmare Collective or not. And Chris touches her nose, and as she goes to touch Brandy's, instead she waves her finger, no, like the Kembi Mutombo. And Kong and Melanie Cruz come out, and Brandy takes off her high heel and nails Statlander with the heel. The heel with the heel. Right in the eye. And down goes Chris Statlander as they come out to take care of her. 
She is selling this like she's been shot in the face by a shoe. And that ended this segment. Mm-hmm. They've given a lot of TV time to Statlander over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I thought this was an impressive win. Went at a really fast pace. I think all of it mostly, you know, looking pretty good. That, man, that finish, though, that, like, uh, Cradle Tombstone looks so dangerous. Like, it looked so dangerous on B Priestley on Dark, and it looked just just frightening here uh, as well on, on Britt Baker. So I guess it works in that sense. I hope everybody's okay. Whoever it seemed it. to frighten Excalibur on both calls because oh, he just uh, screams as he watches. It's just a straight head drop. So um, I, 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 th- I think the character is as, a, as an alien just requires a lot more introduction than what we've had thus far. Which outside of like a few promos, I, I, you know, they've done a great job with the booking, but I think it's been lacking in the in the other parts of the presentation. Um, yeah, I just given the fact that they're off next week, I know you have dark, I know you have other ways to promote it, but I just feel that's a pretty like you you've the story is the champion against the undefeated contender, and that's kind of what we've got. I just I could have used something here the that the focus of the promo. I think should have been on the title match. And instead it's, it's almost like the title match was secondary to uh, this deal. And I'm just, admittedly, I'm just not into this nightmare collective story uh, at all. It's just not hitting with me. And this was, um, this was a show I was really enjoying up, up until this point, this was like the first like real criticism I had. Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard are backstage and, uh, I guess Brandy's microphone had a problem, and then we had the dead volume here at the beginning of this promo because they were, like, just speaking, and you couldn't hear them. They brought up the volume, and the deal is that Tully is helping to scout the perfect tag partner for Sean Spears, one that they can mold, that can adapt, and have the same chemistry with Sean Spears that Tully had with Arn Anderson, that they had a mental connection together, and they are going to keep scouting for that perfect opponent. I wonder if it's going to end up being Joey Janela in the end. That'd be really strange. It would be very weird. Um, I don't know. I, I just these two to me, it's just I. I don't know. I don't know if Sean Spears is the right guy for Tully Blanchard. They haven't necessarily been, I think, booked to you know be that big of a deal. Um, I, you certainly, I think, look at. Tully and think that maybe an, um, he would be a better fit with somebody else. And you also wonder if Sean Spears necessarily needs somebody speaking for him when I think the man himself could be very capable if he was to be given the chance. So on paper, I think the, the, it's certainly not a pairing you would put together um, to necessarily kind of fulfill either's weaknesses. But I also don't think they've been really given a proper chance yet to you know be in that main story other than with Cody, but they were pretty much like just booked to lose pretty quickly there in that one. I always just looked like to me, a manager is that you're going that extra step to enhance somebody that you have big plans for. And this kind of shores up maybe a hole, whether it be speaking ability or just add a presence to someone. And to me, having a, a undercard performer with a manager, it's almost like, what what's the point? If he's not somebody that you have big plans for, then it's almost like what's the manager doing? Like to me, put it with someone that you have like really that that can really use it. So I just think Tully's a, a really great fit for, as a manager, and 
just want to see him with somebody that you're you're getting your value out of because Sean Spears to me does not as we're however many weeks in here just feels like he is a an underneath heel which is fine but I don't think he needs a manager for that role and can speak on his own so use Tully to really enhance someone because I, I don't think he's providing anything for Sean Spears now it's a breakup that's what I'm calling for they re-aired the Young Bucks promo that aired on Dark where they're going to be spending Christmas dinner with SCU. Yeah, they're friends. They didn't book that one too well. Be very awkward. So the main event was Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian defending the tag titles against the Young Bucks. And Jim Ross said off the beginning, you didn't know why this, this wasn't on January 1st in Jacksonville. But they said that the powers that be wanted this here tonight. So we get into the match. Sky hits this Hurricane Rana, sending Nick off the apron to the floor. We're getting chance for both teams. Uh, Nick and Scorpio balance on the ropes, ending with a Hurricane Rana to Scorpio off the top rope that Nick just hit uh, tremendously well. Then uh, dove to the floor. We get the commercial, come back, and we get a double springboard twisting jump by Nick, who gets hit in midair with a cutter from Sky. Then they both apply dragon sleepers onto Matt and Nick, but Matt is able to power out suplex and Kazarian onto the other two. They're free. Sky then hoists Kazarian in the air to deliver a tornado DDT to Nick on the edge of the apron. Matt goes for a small package. Sky kicks out and hits a TKO onto Matt. SCU later, and Kazarian pins Matt Jackson as SCU retain the tag titles. I was mildly surprised. Um, and this I was, was done. I mean, I, I still do feel like it, it's a little too soon to do a big title change. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised that I think SCU kept the belt. But, um, you know, it, it was a great showcase, I think, for both teams. Very good match. No shenanigans, no false finishes. Just a 10-minute sprint that led to a straight-up clean victory. It was, yeah, lived up to, I think, the hype of, of it being a, a box main event. I would say if this ended... I really enjoyed this show. I thought overall, this was like a really strong foot forward from AEW. I I really enjoyed this show a lot. And then the creepers surrounded the ring. The lights go out and out come Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. Evil Uno notes that they are not here to recruit, but this is an initiation. And the creepers storm the ring to attack SEU and the Bucks. And then... Alex Reynolds and John Silver, unmasked, take part in the attack. They outnumber all of them. Christopher Daniels is out. He gets beaten down with them. Then Kenny Omega runs out. Cody and Dustin are out. All of the main event guys get beaten down as Stu Grayson reveals masks that are presented to Reynolds and Silver, who have passed the initiation. And then Uno sticks his hand down Matt's mouth doing God knows what. And the, and the final image of AEW, if you had taken a bet at the beginning of the year, what would be the closing image of the year? It's all the creepers surrounding Uno and Grayson staring at the camera over the fallen elite. They also pointed that Paige didn't come out. No, he did not come out to help them. He was, uh, he was gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean... I, I like the vignettes for the most part. I think they were a big improvement for, for this gimmick and in a way rehabbed them. But I think in this one segment, they, the Dark Order unfortunately just kind of came across again, just corny as fuck. Like way too over the top, 
like generic Power Ranger level villain without any subtlety at all. Um, this was high school drama class. Yeah, I don't. You know, it was not. Um, not scary, certainly. Um, I think this is not a main event group. This is not. No, this not. is not the group that should be laying out all your top baby faces. I mean, I have no desire to see these guys go through creepers to get to the Dark Order uh, for, at best, uh, some TV tag match. I think if it ended with, like, a big reveal of, like, a surprise, you know, um, uh, new member, like, if it was, like, a Hangman page, I'm not saying do that on this episode, but, like, if it was somebody on that level joining the Dark Order, you would have had a much bigger reaction. But nobody knows who Alex Reynolds or John Silver are. So to center, I think this segment around their initi- initiation did nothing for anybody live um, and ultimately kind of ended the show on a bit of a flat note. Oh, a hundred percent. I would say I enjoyed 90% of this show, but this and like the nightmare collective stuff, it, it didn't, uh, that wasn't great either. And yeah, I just thought this ended on a really, really low note from what I thought was a very strong dynamite overall. I mean, the good certainly outpaced the bad, but this was a really low point to end the show off of. And I, I just, I'm just not into this Dark Order group at all. I thought the two hours moved really well. I thought this was a good dynamite as well with, you know, good matches top to bottom. Really liked the stuff they did with Jungle Boy that delivered uh, on every expectation that I might have had of that segment. And, you know... Remains to be seen, I think, how they follow follow up with Jungle Boy. Sometimes I get the sense that they'll just, like, give guys on the mid-card sort of, like, this type of exposure and then just keep them in the mid-card without really that much, like, lasting elevation. Um, so we'll see how they follow, follow up with Jungle Boy. But I thought it was good built for Statlander as the next contender, though I do continue to crave, like, more elements of introduction for her and again we see that they can do it look at the great job they did with jungle boy on this episode i just wish there were more pre-produced elements even as like brief as something like a 30 second chat uh just explaining what some of these people who some of these people are but still uh, i thought this was a good dynamite all right well that was uh that was the show and let's head on over to the forum and see what everyone had to say about the show and whether it was a Thumbs up or thumbs down show. So we go to the poll, and tonight's show, on a scale of 1 to 10, it gets a 6.96. Do you want to start things off? Sure. We go to Paul from New Jersey, who says, Last week, somebody called into the cafe stating they were visually impaired and not able to see the picture in picture. I suffer from the same issue, and I realize I'm in the minority, but I just have no idea what happened. Seemed like Jericho and Jungle Boy were getting five more minutes, and no idea what happened with Pac and Omega. Thank goodness I have Cowboy and the DJ. Not sure how I feel about the alien gimmick, but I thought Chris Statlander looked excellent. Not only do I not understand what Brandy's character is supposed to be, but I don't care for her at all as an on-screen performer. The show felt average to me. Five. Okay, Hagaki. Tonight felt like a pay-per-view. A good pay-per-view at that. Storylines developed, good pace, great wrestling. I'm happy to see Statlander as next in line. Britt was not doing it at all. Things feel like they're, they've started to click and the company is actually listening to fans. Go to Brandon from Oshawa who says, I'm confused about what they are doing with Spears and Tully. Last week they were pushing Spears to getting a partner, but then his feud with Janela continued. Oh yeah. This week they pushed the partner again, but no talk about Janela. They don't need Spears in the tag division with so many solid and established teams already. I'm really disappointed because I thought they were actually going to give him a decent singles run. I'm glad Statlander won. 
Baker is still terrible. The end of SCU and Bucks was underwhelming, but I love the end with the Dark Order beat down. They're really teasing Hangman possibly joining. I think Daniels as the Fallen Angel character would be a great fit for them as well. Okay, we go to Gerard. Worst episode of Dynamite yet. Wow. Uh, the wrestling as usual is fine, but the quality of booking in AEW has really declined. Pack attacking Michael Nakazawa in the back and Kenny chasing after him was pure WWE. Jericho versus Jungle Boy did not need interference and should have ended with Jungle Boy tapping out with only a few seconds left on the clock. I disagree with that, but that's his opinion. Main event went way too short, given how good the match actually was. Looks like the Dark Order reboot has already jumped the shark. Crowd didn't seem any more into them despite the weeks of vignettes. Strangely enough, I don't mind the Brandy stuff so much, possibly because I don't know where it's going and a lot of the other stuff is too predictable. I've watched every episode of Dynamite so far, but I may peace out for a while until things change. I really love how different everybody's opinions are on this particular episode. I I love it. Yeah, uh, I mean... I just think you, you got so much out of that 10-minute deal that Jungle Boy not tapping out uh, doesn't harm Jericho in, in one bit, and it does, like, an enormous amount for, for Jungle Boy, that that's kind of his, you know, this is, a, like, a major moment for them that, if they play it up well, is something that certainly you can go back to at one point, rather than Jericho just beating this guy, and the end result is this guy isn't at Jericho's level, he's not quite there yet and instead it's well he hung for 10 minutes with the champion and i think that long term has more value than if they had done the the very cliche tap out with five seconds left where i think that always makes the baby face look really weak that you can't hold on for a couple more seconds i think with chris jericho he's not necessarily like a obviously not a brock lesnar type of cha- uh you know ch- heel champion i think he very much appears to be the type that sneaks by doing cowardly things in order to always get the victory. Even, you know, he, he, I would say does not feel like a level of credible champion, the way you might look at somebody like a Brock Lesnar. He is a champion who, I mean, in a way is credible because he's smart. He uses his brains in order to always win when it counts. Um, And so the idea that somebody in the mid card could potentially beat him in a fair one-on-one fight does not, to me is just fitting of the character. You know, like you should hate him because he should not be champion, but he continues to be because he either, you know, does underhanded things or he basically sneaks by and is and is smart when it counts. So it doesn't really bother me as much uh, either. We go to Noah from Vaughn who says, as always, AEW delivered an enjoyable two hours in their final show of the decade. Nothing stood out as unbelievable. However, I thought everything flowed really well and I enjoyed almost everything. Big props to the crowd tonight, especially for a city with the reputation that they have of being on the quieter side. Eight out of ten show for me. MJ, I went over to a friend's to watch both shows on multiple screens tonight. Wrestling TV hack, watching AEW without commercials. What a difference. Angles play out, additional promos, matches with commentary, few crowd shots. It feels like a network special or pay-per-view. Also, they had a little bit of the bubbly. It comes with instructions on how to post and tag it on social media. Also, it comes with a letter from Jericho, which he has included here. After you get a taste of a little bit of the bubbly, normal wine, beer, beer, and even vodka will taste like swill. This is pretty much the goat of adult beverages. You're welcome. Signed, Chris Jericho. Wow. That's very nice. Very cool. How did it taste? Let us know, MJ. Nick from Lansing says, really fun show overall. Every match was fast-paced and captivating. 
with captivating action throughout. So far, I appreciate AEW's slower approach to storytelling. They're not dropping too much information on one promo dump the way WWE programming tends to. Things like Jungle Boy lasting 10 minutes and the slow rise of Dark Order make me want to come back because it feels like things move forward and characters are advancing week to week. I thought Chris Statlander continues to be a standout and a captivating performer. Join the Dark Order. Okay, and Kenny here writes, Totally enjoyable two hours with a fantastic main event. Where has Scorpio Sky been all my life? It's a pleasure to get to watch Nick Jackson each week. All his high flying just looks great. Darby Allen needs to be the AEW cover boy ASAP. It's too bad they don't have a secondary title, as I think he would make an awesome IC champion. The show wasn't all good. I can't get into the women's matches at all, and the booking is really confusing. Can anyone tell me if Britt Baker is the star of the division or not? She sure seems to be. She she sure seems to lose a lot. Nice of Riho to show up. Dark Order still sucks. Seven out of ten. There you go. Yeah. Some, some some strong opinions from everybody. It's either. It's love or hate for everything in AEW. That seems to be the usual conclusions. I like it. I like it. I, I, I thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Yeah. So Thursday we'll have uh, the numbers for tonight's episode, which is going to be interesting. Along with the the curveball, that tonight was the uh, the impeachment vote that the House of Representatives was having. So I imagine like there was a lot of people watching and following that story tonight that I, I wonder if that has any impact on either of the shows tonight, because you have to imagine every cable news station probably did monster numbers tonight covering yeah, the, the impeachment. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm interested in the demographic breakdown, you know, whether or not perhaps a younger audience might have the same level of interest in something like that than, you know, a 50 plus audience. So Great point. Yep. This will, yeah, this will be fascinating to see. So that will be on Thursday. And before we get out of here, uh, we're gonna. I'm just gonna chat a little bit about NXT. So if you want to tune out, now's the time. Do you want to talk so. about Dark or uh, Power? Oh, let, let's do that first. Yes, yes, yes. All that slipped uh, my mind. Um, let's start with AEW Dark. Actually, um, what what did you think of the show? This is actually the first time I had watched the entire episode of Dark. Yeah, it had been a while since I've seen a full episode too. But um, I admittedly was just mainly kind of watching in the background but mainly just to keep up with stories and to see some of the promos um i thought it was like decent show i i think i have maybe not that much interest in just like watching straight up wrestling matches um without that much story attached to it uh i find as a show it's 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 you know a nice display of i would say the undercard talent but in some ways, it kind of feels like it's just scraps from the tapings, which I I don't necessarily mm, find myself craving to watch every single week. But yeah. Yeah, I would say it's it's the kind of show that I had some time on Tuesday night, so I, I decided to watch it. But certainly nothing that I watched that I was like, God, I'm glad I saw this. To be honest, like to me, the most... Uh, right off the top, they had that Young Bucks promo that I thought was a really great promo, especially for Matt. And they they aired it tonight on Dynamite, so that that was wise to do. And I would say, like, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, Vicky Guerrero was on commentary, and she, you know, she is someone that didn't seem like she knew all these performers, but clearly did some homework ahead of time, right down to bringing up you know wins and losses from weeks back on TV that she at least I, I think kind of did. Uh, study up on who is who and 
the matches she would be calling and seemed really enthusiastic for the product, which to me, if you're not a great like nuts and bolts broadcaster, enthusiasm compensates very effectively. And I, I thought she, you know, it was just, she seemed like a big fan of the product and that's always a good vibe to have on the show. They also had Joey Janela who just seemed to try and get as many lines in as he could. I guess the notable one was in the main event when he said that Orange Cassidy is so brave that he would never back down at a Blink-182 concert and that he is so brave that he could strap a bucket of maple syrup to his bike and ride across the great country of Canada. Yes, very funny. Very nice. So, so Janela getting his lines in. I thought Vicky Guerrero was terrible. You know, I know, I know they like to like try people out, and certainly I don't see this as being any sort of like permanent fixture. But like some people just shouldn't be doing this, and I I think much of it comes down with her lack of familiarity with with the product, which I think really came across. But just did not seem suited for a commentary role in general. Um, it was somewhere you know, like she came she came across it just as somebody. Not necessarily playing her character that she used to, but like, I don't know, somebody who just like hangs out backstage and is familiar with the world of wrestling. But I, I, I thought it was one of the weaker guest uh, commentators they've had. Yeah, I, I can't compare it to the other ones. Again, like this is not a, a show I'm watching regularly. I I got a kick out of her at times. It, it did get a little over the top with the like just flirting with every single wrestler that she was asked about that was in the ring. Um I did it. I really, though, enjoyed her reacting for the first time ever to Orange Cassidy and just like she's figuring out the character as she's watching it. Orange Cassidy is awesome. I think this guy is just tremendous. He, I, he, this whole six man tag is built to him getting the tag, coming in, and he was awesome with Pac. He, he was awesome with all of them. I, I can't get enough of this guy. I, I say that like there is probably an overexposure level. But for this show, in this six-man tag, he's great. I, I, I was very entertained by him. So last week, you and I talked about how it was that Britt Baker and Chris Statlander were the ones having a number one contenders match when in the current rankings that we were looking at, they were ranked, I think, four, fourth and fifth, respectively. So it turns out those rankings that they reveal on Fridays, or what, uh, whatever they revealed, are based off of the dark tapings that took place then. So essentially they are based off of the wins and losses that we would see on the Tuesday after the rankings are announced. Okay. So 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 the following So when the, the ranking so when the rankings came out last Friday, they reflected what we saw last night on dark. Correct. Yes. Okay. So it's a little that, that gets very confusing because on the in the commentary the time continuum we're watching this on Tuesday night because they're throwing to tomorrow night. Yeah, so I don't I don't know if it's just like the commentators commentating as if they know that this is taped and you're supposed to know that this is taped. It it, it definitely is a little bit confusing. Um, I don't know. I feel like they could release the rankings on Tuesday or even Wednesday afternoon, or on Wednesday, even. Like, but at the beginning of the show, perhaps. But, you know, then again, I, I also know that they probably want to announce the matches beforehand, like, you know, to give you time to anticipate the matches. So it's a very, I would say, a pretty imperfect system at the moment. Um, in their minds, I guess it does currently somewhat make sense. 
Yeah. So the women's rankings this week were uh, Britt Baker one, followed by Chris Statlander, Hikaru Shida, Nyla Rose, who's suspended, and Amy Sakura at number five. So, yeah, in closing, like, I would say if, if I was recommending anything, it would be the six man at the end. But I, I, di- I didn't think there was anything must see on this show. But for the the hour I watched it, which may or may not have been at multiple times the speed, uh, it was it was entertaining for the time I sat down. I wasn't bored watching this. No, I mean, if you have that big of a craving, I think for some wrestling on a Tuesday or if there's a particular favorite of yours that you want to catch up on AEW or if you're somebody who only follows AEW. Um, you know, and this is a perfect supplement. It's a really good supplement because they do feature like promos. We saw one from Chris Statlander here in a service elevator ta- uh, talking to, you know, to, to Britt Baker. Um, How about those handmade signs that the uh, the Nightmare Collective uh, worked all day on? KS phone home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not that into the gimmick i'm not that into either gimmick you know like the fact that she again i i know like if you've been following her throughout the indies perhaps like oh yeah she's an alien that shit might really work but it just it does nothing for me all right nwa power season two premiere i really like this show like in fact i think this might be i haven't seen nxt yet but like thus far this might be my my favorite show of the week uh, at least in the past seven days, I thought it was a fantastic follow-up to um, um, uh, uh, Into the Fire. I think there was plenty of storyline development ended on just a wonderful high note. Um, and just like introduced a brand new tournament. So I really like the show. There was, uh, I thought it was a great follow-up to, to, to the pay-per-view. Yeah, they introduced a lot here. It was all built around the Marty Skrull promo or sit-down interview with Stu Bennett and stating that he has always wanted to be world champion. He's never been world champion, so indicating that he wants that match with Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis was, again, he was the star of this show. He's just such a great presence on this show. Everything's built around him, and he's going to enter the television title tournament, which they announced all the participants for, which will be Ricky Starks, Caleb Conley, Colt Cabana, Trevor Murdoch, Tom Latimer, The Question Mark, Eddie Kingston, Tim Storm, the Dawsons, and Nick Aldis. So they're going to start that tournament next week. And the, I guess the big angle at the end was after the no DQ match, uh, we had Tim Storm was on commentary. And Aldis comes up to confront Tim Storm about a comment he made earlier. And they are they they argue off mic. So you can't hear what they're saying. You're just watching their body language. And it escalates to Storm getting into the ring and challenging Aldis when the wild cards attack Tim Storm. Then Camille runs out, who earlier in the night, Aldis had said is no longer his insurance policy. So you're you're once again getting the the tease that Camille has finally broken free from this guy, and they pull it right back as she turns around and spears Tim Storm. And then she starts making out with Latimer, and we've got our top group with Aldis, the wild cards, and Camille. Uh, aligned together to end the show really good i think uh closing angle you know um i i I will say i it doesn't necessarily solve the whole camille like whispering to james storm deal like what was camille whispering to to james storm and why did camille cost nick aldis that first fall on uh, on the pay-per-view 
that isn't wasn't all that clear. I hope it gets addressed in the future, but that part's a little confusing. But I did like the reveal. I I think you know Nick Aldis at this point certainly like is more than ready to lead his own stable. And to me, this was like you know his clear heel turn, uh, a heel stable consisting of him, Camille, and the wild card. I. I like a lot. I, I think the wild card could be very popular, but I, you know, haven't necessarily been given like that prime spotlight. Them as sort of like the the tag team uh, with Nick Aldis in charge, I think is the exact type of boost that they can use. Uh, so I enjoyed that angle a lot. Um, the announcement of the tag, uh, the the TV title tournament. Again, I'm really surprised at like how over some of these talents are in this tournament in such a short amount of time, like a guy like this crowd, this crowd is such a big part of this show. They're into all the characters that make them all feel uh, bigger than they should be. Like they, they, their crowd is so important to this. Like if this was just people that were just coming in and they were papering this studio and it was people that were indifferent, this show would feel so different. Well, it's amazing that like, such a small audience can sound so good. And I I guess that tells you a lot about maybe about the type of space, how things are mic'd. Uh, but yeah, like I agree. But it's also like not even just like the crowd's reaction, but my own reaction. Like I'm looking at this roster and it's like, oh my God, I like the question mark. I, I like Ricky Starks. Like there are a number of like every person they mentioned, I feel like even like an Eli Drake or an Aaron Stevens, I have an exact story and identity that they've crafted in my mind for these characters in such a short amount of time. So I really do commend them. I also love the length of these matches. Listen, like there's definitely a time for like a long 20 minute match at some points, but there's also a lot of times where I much prefer a three minute match, or in this case, a match that goes six Oh five tops. Okay. Like that's, which is all the, all the matches in this tournament. Like I, it's like this show moves like if I don't care about these guys, I don't have to spend that much time watching them. I just kind of get a sense of like what their finisher is, what they might look like in the ring. Boom, on to the next segment. It's a show that moves really well. It tells really good stories based off of like tradition. Um, it it it's got subtlety in the way that like you know something like that Tim Storm and and Nick all this altercation might have occurred without it being right in your face. It feels genuine. So big thumbs up for me. No, I think honestly, if they did a gauntlet match, I think they'd have a winner at the end of it. <laughs> you think so? I think they would do it. I think they would. Even on TV, mm-hmm. I think they'd give you a winner at the end. What a novel concept. You imagine 50 minutes on this show of a gauntlet, and then at the end, no winner. Oh, um, yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed this show a lot. It was just con- It's constant movement on NWA Power. Like They've got... Maybe the best pacing uh, of any regular show at the moment. Like, it's just go, go, go. And this was one of their longer episodes. This was like 70 minutes. Mm. And it's still, it didn't drag for me at all. And it, mm-hmm. it tells you, it's very interesting to watch what they have done with some of these characters. Some who some who have name value, but some who have, like, came into this with, like, a negative stigma, oh, I would yeah. say, among wrestling fans. And you look at where they are, uh, you know... uh how how many episodes? This was episode number uh, ten. Oh, that ten, yeah, yeah. They've done ten episodes, and where they've gotten people, and we will watch Raw and SmackDown, where like that company, it's never been this deep with talent. And how many people can you honestly say are are over, are really over? And it's just it, it's astonishing when when you look at just you know just basic star making capabilities that you can get over in a short amount of time 
a crowd that just believes in these characters. And not to say everybody in this show is some superstar, but that that's the perception that they are given. Like, Nick Aldis, you watch this show? This guy feels, like, a, as big as anyone. It's that. It's, like, you know, what it's done for people like like Aaron Stevens, who I, I can certainly say was, for me, one of those people coming in with a negative, I think, reputation. Oh, that, that impact run he had was oh, dreadful. no. But, you know, here, like, he's really digging into some of the material that I think made him so lovable as, like, a Damian Mizdow. Like, him coming out with a new belt and dubbing it, <laughs> dubbing himself a uh, three... Da- third, third, third degree uh, NWA <laughs> national champion. And so he yeah. puts the, the tape, like, the stripes on the NWA championship belt. Like, that stuff, that type of shit is so stupid. And he that- comes out, like, in, like, the gi... <laughs> Yeah, like that. I just I I love it, and like the way he plays with this crowd, like to me, it has reinvigorated him. It's reinvigorated Eli Drake, um, it, James Storm. You know, has found new life as part of this whole setting. So uh, I look forward to how. Seeing how this. about that promo that Drake cut where he's like selling the 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 chair attack to his oh, throat? Yeah, yeah, that like was, that was goddamn impressive. You know, I didn't realize. Like I forgot about the 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 chair to the throat. I thought he legitimately might have had laryngitis, but like now that I think about like now like when they made the angle apparent, it's like holy shit! He was like selling that whole laryngitis promo was him selling, and it was very impressive. Yeah, they did they did the chair to the throat spot, and he came out and like you you cannot he doesn't screw up at all in this. Like you you could not. He was tremendous. Like that guy's always been a very good promo, and this is the best setting for him to be in. Completely agree. I almost forgot about that. So thanks for uh, reminding me. So anyway, uh, if if you had fallen out of NWA, I would I would definitely recommend the season two uh, premiere. And this season is going to be a short one. It's six episodes. They're going that they taped this past weekend that will lead into the next pay per view, January twenty fourth. So it's going to be a quick turnaround to the pay per view. They also mentioned off the top that Stu Bennett was going to be the commentator for this season. Now, I don't know if that means like, you know, like, I don't think I don't think it's any indication about whether or not he'll be back. But I, I also think it's interesting how they distinguish like these sets as seasons, which makes like for wonderful jumping on points. Like after exactly. every pay-per-view might might be a place where you can if you've fallen off of it, you can jump back on. And it's like you can take people out, put some new people in, and you can bring those people back at, at a later time period. It's like if, mm-hmm. if someone isn't available, like a Stu Bennett, maybe he's not available at the next tapings. You can have another guy come in and do the season of commentary and still reintroduce people later because I, I think you want to have kind of the new season. It should have one or two new characters come in and maybe some guys swap out for a season as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see. The, the legs that this show has, and I, I think in the immediate future, if in fact that they have Aldis and Marty Skrull for the next pay-per-view, well, that's that's great. I think that there's going to be a lot of interest in that of, of people following Skrull, and he's that, that new character for this season that the whole season ends up getting based around. For sure. All right. Uh, so NXT on Wednesday night, uh, we had the two championship matches. I got to watch both. Well, I watched all of the... Adam Cole, Finn Balor match. Uh, they did have a really fantastic match, uh, including the return of Johnny Gargano. But the the big news was the main event with Rhea Ripley defeating Shayna Baszler. This came after she was she was in the Kirafuda clutch. She grabbed the referee and was able to flip her way out of the Kirafuda clutch. They made their way onto the turn, turnbuckle, and we got a 
super riptide way off the turnbuckle as Ripley pinned Shayna Baszler. And then uh, fans and the locker room all got into the ring, like the Bob Backlund spot, and everyone's going nuts for Rhea Ripley as they go off the air, and she is the new NXT Women's Champion. So that was the, on top of the the news bits we had from earlier, that was the big stuff coming out of NXT. But I guess the next question is what they do with Shayna Baszler. Do they do the requisite rematch with Rhea Ripley, or is this uh, her farewell? We'll find out. It's a great question. I mean, you know, Rumble season, I think, is a perfect way to have her come up, you know, or at least have some sort of interaction with Becky or whoever that she, you know, want, wants to, uh, what whoever they want to pair her with on the main roster. So the timing kind of works out, and that finish sounds like it was pretty cool. And again, next week's show, it's going to have uh, an open challenge for Roderick Strong's North American title. And they also announced Keith Lee and Leo Rush against Damian Priest and Tony Nese among the matches for next week. So there you go. Those are your NXT news and notes. And that is going to bring an end to Rewind to Dynamite. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We will be back Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. The Cafe Hangout, the last Cafe Hangout. Uh, for the year. So we hope to hear from many of you. We will be opening up the phone lines and taking many of your calls, looking back at the decade at large or just chatting what's going on this week. There's going to be plenty uh, to talk about. So uh, that is it. Anything else, Way, before we sign off? That's it for me. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening.